0: Stand back. I'm going to try science. How we do psychology. You're listening to Psychologically Speaking, a podcast for anyone interested in understanding how psychology applies to everyday life. Welcome. I'm your host, Dawn Brinkley. And whether you're a student, an educator, or a lifelong learner, I think you'll find this podcast to be educational as well as entertaining. I'm so excited you're hanging out with me today. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to any new listeners and welcome back to my faithful listeners. It is once again great to be here with you. I am glad to be back in the sunny warm weather of the state of Georgia. I was in Northern California last week and it was surprisingly cold so I'm glad to be back here in the warmth of the sunshine. I will start this episode off as I always do by saying to you, As a psychologist and psychology enthusiast, it's my job to dispel some of the myths people often have about psychology. As a true psychology nerd, I am defending my favorite subject matter against all false claims. Today's psychology myth or science topic. Is it true that when two behaviors are linked together, one behavior causes another What do you think? Is that a psychology myth or science topic? If two things are related or co-occur, does one cause the other? Is there a causal relationship? You'll have to stick around to find out. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Today I am going to talk to you about the scientific method or what I like to describe as doing science, how we as psychologists do science. The scientific method is a set of assumptions, methods, attitudes, and procedures that guide all scientists, including psychologists, in conducting research. On this episode, in this episode today, I'm going to briefly talk about the need for psychological science. I've been touching on that. I've touched on that um, past uh, couple episodes. Um, But it is important to continue to hone in on that because, of course, I'm talking to you about how we can apply psychology in everyday situations, and there is a need for psychological science. I will also cover how critical thinking relates to the scientific method, what are theories and hypotheses, and then what are the steps in the scientific method. Next week, I want to cover with you some research designs in the field. So different ways that scientists design projects to do research. The need for psychological science. There is a need for psychological science because we as humans tend to have certain tendencies when it comes to how we view the world. We tend to engage in hindsight bias, so that feeling that we knew something all along. Of course, anything might seem, seem obvious once it's been explained. We also have a tendency to be overconfident and think we know more than what we do know. And we also have a tendency to see patterns in random things. We, For example, I'm in a huge Cowboys fan, and our neighbor is forbidden from visiting us when the Cowboys are playing. Every single time he comes to the house when, and watches the game with us, the Cowboys lose. When he's not there, we're fine. We win. So no, 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 you are not able to come. You know, you are not allowed to visit when my Cowboys are playing. The scientific inquiry can help us distinguish reality from illusions such as these. Even though I know my neighbor has nothing to do with that, it's just these random things that I put together and decided, nope, you can no longer visit. it. I talked a few episodes ago about the scientific attitude. And the scientific attitude is a sense of curiosity, skepticism, and humility. Psychology is very much, it's a science that is very much influenced by this scientific attitude. Psychologists approach the world with a curious sense of skepticism. So we ask questions like, what do you mean? How do you know this? Um, We have a sense of humility. So it's important for us to um, be willing to admit and accept criticism. All of these things help to make psychology, or modern science in general, possible. Some examples of questions that a psychologist might ask when I talk about this curious skepticism. Do parental behaviors determine children's sexual orientation? You can set up an experiment or set up a study to examine that question. Another question would be, is electric shock therapy on the brain an effective treatment for depression. That is another question that you can set up a study to answer. It's It's a verifiable research question. So scientific questions are questions that you can empirically research. The question of life after death, however, is beyond the realm of science. We cannot effectively answer that question with a scientific experiment so keep in mind that the types of questions that scientists attempt to answer are empirical questions they are questions that you can answer by setting up experiments to try or setting up studies to try and answer those questions psychologists study human behavior so you would think our methods might be relatively straightforward. We're humans, You know, why would it be so difficult? Humans are complex. There is a lot of variability that's involved. And then there tends to be a lot of reactivity. People don't always behave naturally when they know they're being studied. Human experiments or research on human behavior can tend to be very difficult. Scientific study involves critical thinking. Critical thinking is about examining assumptions, discerning hidden values, evaluating evidence, and then assessing conclusions. And so we do this by asking and answering questions in the formation of theories and hypotheses. What is a theory? A theory in everyday language is a mere hunch. So we organize isolated facts to try and simplify things. And when we link these facts into deeper principles, our theories, it we hope that it offers a useful summary. For example, if I as a professor notice that people with poor sleeping habits cannot answer questions and then they tend to do poorly on tests. So my students, if I do a survey in my class and I ask about sleeping habits and then I look and I notice that my students with poor sleeping habits often don't do well on the exams, I might have a theory that sleep improves memory because my students who report better sleeping habits often do better. What we want to keep in mind is that with the scientific method is that a good theory produces testable predictions and these predictions are called hypotheses. Theories are not the same as a hypothesis. A hypothesis is a specific question or prediction to be tested. Theories integrate and summarize our findings on a particular topic. A good theory often generates new hypotheses that can be tested by future research. To clarify, the theories are like these general ideas and then the hypotheses are our testable predictions. They're predictions that we have based on these general ideas. Of course, the part of the scientific method that is so great is that we might have a theory, but we can always revise it if the results of our experiment or our research are not as we expected them to be. In fact, a good research scientist will do that. They will go back and look and say, hmm, this is not quite what I expected at all. I thought that people with poor sleeping habits did not do as well, but it seems like there is no difference or in fact they do better. That's very counterintuitive, why might that be? Let me go back and reconsider and look at this again. We have to be careful though, because our theories might, they can bias us and we might see what we expect. So it is very important as a scientist that we keep an open mind as we are doing research. We keep an open mind and a non-biased attitude about what it is that we are examining. This brings us to the steps in the scientific method. The steps in the scientific method include number one, formulating a question that can be tested, an empirical question. Number two, designing a study to collect relevant data. Number three, analyzing that data to arrive at conclusions. And number four, reporting our results. There are specific things that go along with each of those steps. I will talk about that more in our next episode, but I do want to touch a little bit on empiricism or how we know stuff. You hear me at the top of every episode talk about the psychology myth or science and whether that's something that's a myth or is it something that has um, is, is backed by empirical evidence. Empiricism is where we gain accurate knowledge through observation. Scientific study is about observation. People should trust their eyes and ears more than authority. So don't just listen to things that are being told to you. Examine it for yourself. Empiricism is guided by scientific assumptions that events are lawful. Even though human behavior is difficult to study, there are events that are explainable and behavior and mental processes have causes that can be understood by using this systematic form of study. We also have to keep in mind that we want to remain open-minded and be willing to consider new or alternative explanations of behavior and mental processes. That's this idea that we are not dogmatic in our thinking. We want to be more empirical. Scientific methodology is based on empirical reasoning as opposed to dogmatism. So the tendency for people to stick to their original assumptions. The scientific method involves having an idea, gathering evidence about that idea. And of course, the ideas, again, are theories. And then we form hypotheses related to expectations. One thing that another thing I should say that is very important to keep in mind, hypotheses are falsifiable predictions. So it means that you can show evidence like for or against these things. With that, keep in mind that theories can be proven wrong, but they cannot be proven right. Um, We are, as scientists, we're cautioned about using causal language in our writing all the time. We, We see links, we see associations, we see how things are Related. So empirical evidence increases our confidence in a theory. It boosts our confidence, but we can never be 100% certain. Remember that. This brings us to today's psychology myth or science topic. Before I go into that, let me just because I know I may have thrown a lot of information at you today that might not seem like it's linked, but I promise you that it is. I talked about the need for psychological science because we as humans have a tendency to be overconfident in our thinking and to see patterns that are definitely or oftentimes not there. Then psychological science can help us distinguish reality from illusion. Also, I talked about how um, critical thinking relates to the scientific method. So critical thinking is this thing about examining assumptions and trying to pick apart things that are hidden and evaluating the evidence from the research that we do and then coming to conclusions. And that's what the scientific method is is all about. So it's about formulating these theories, testing our hypotheses, and doing it in a systematic manner. So you have a question, you design your study, you collect your data, you analyze your data, and then you report. The data tell you a story, and so you report your results. Today's psychology, myth, or science topic is it true that when two behaviors are linked or co-occur we can assume that one behavior causes the other findings such as these are based on correlational studies correlational studies give us information about things that are related or co-occur at some point in time but just because these two events are related does not mean that they are causally linked. Here's an example of a real-life correlational study, and you tell me what you think about this. Michael Kaczynski and colleagues, he's a British psychologist, studied 58,000 Facebook users and found interesting correlations between Facebook likes, so how many likes a person had on Facebook, and personality traits. Some findings were obvious, such as there was a strong link between a person being outgoing and enjoying dancing. But what do you think about the strong positive correlation that was found between intelligence and liking curly fries and intelligence and liking Morgan Freeman's voice? Can you confidently conclude that eating curly fries or listening to Morgan Freeman causes intelligence you could come to this conclusion Would it be correct? Probably not so just keep in mind of how important you know causation correlation does not equate to causation. You will hear that a lot if you study psychology you will there could always be like another factor there's it's not necessarily that a causes b. The relationship between A and B is not a causal relationship. There could be some other reason why we see that relationship or that link. Consider this. The important thing is to not stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity of life of the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery each day. This quote is credited to Albert Einstein. I can so relate to this quote. I am a lifelong learner and I seek to learn something new every day. The embers of curiosity eternally burn within my soul. I encourage you to be a seeker of knowledge, to question things and just not simply accept things as they are. Again, I remind you to do it in a respectful manner, but don't just accept things as they are. If you question something, question it and be okay with it and make sure you look at all sides of, you know, the source of the information um, and things like that. That concludes this episode of Psychologically Speaking. Be sure to visit my blog at drbmindful.com for useful self-help tips and highlights of the podcast episode. Invite a friend to listen. I welcome your suggestions and feedback at dawnb at drbmindful.com or you can post them using the contact me link on the blog. As always, thanks for hanging out with me today.